You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Heart Matters is produced in cooperation with the American College of Cardiology. Your host is Dr. Janet Wright, Senior Vice President for Science and Quality for the American College of Cardiology. Cardiac surgery can improve the quality of life, but it also poses risks for patients over the age of 65. Can a screening test as simple as walking speed predict the outcomes of cardiac surgery for our older patients? Our guest today is Dr. Joseph Cleveland. He's Associate Professor of Surgery and Surgical Director of Cardiac Transplant and Mechanical Circulatory Support at the University of Colorado at Denver. Welcome, Dr. Cleveland. Thank you. You know, I think I want to start by asking you, and this will be a trick question, how long have you been operating on folks? How many years? A total of 19, if you count my training. Yes, of course, and we should. And over that period of time, what have you observed about the age or the illness level, if you will, about the folks you're taking care of? That's a great question, and certainly what I have observed is both the complexity of the operations have increased, the comorbidities of patients that we're being asked to operate on have increased, and certainly their age has increased. As we know, we're kind of on the cusp of a explosion of patients older than 65 that will, as a medical community, be dealing with not just their surgical issues, but a lot of other comorbid conditions that really, as you pointed out, go into their desire and their decision-making about whether to have an operation or not. I don't think in 2011 is it okay just to say we're going to get you off the table and alive versus dead, but we want you alive and functional, and that's seen as a successful outcome these days. Oh, you know, you really hit on something that I observed as well, which is a change over a 20-year span in expectations. Family members and folks who are considering surgery or any medical treatment come in with a different set of expectations now, I think, than they did before. You're exactly right. And with that expectations, I think it behooves us as clinicians offering these various therapies to be able to try to realistically give some estimate of not just their risk from standpoint of being alive or dead, but their risk of major complications and what their functional outcome may be with the procedure. Right. And I think the other thing that your work tips me toward is this concept of measurement that we are, and surgeons, cardiovascular surgeons in particular, have a long history of measuring their outcomes and their complication rates, recording those and learning from them, and accelerating their learning through the use of registries and other approaches. So what you're doing is you're looking at your advanced age patients and trying to determine how to predict their outcome and how to help the decision-making around their surgical procedures? Yes, that's correct. I mean, as you pointed out, the Society of Thoracic Surgeons uh, has long maintained a national cardiovascular database, which you can get a very, if you will, global or macro view of how things are, but it's often not as useful in trying to counsel individual patients, although it is becoming more so that way, but still when you're sitting with an individual patient in your office or in the setting about, again, whether to undergo procedure X or Y or treatment X or Y, these other measurement tools that are accessible and try to get at the, if you will, no pun intended, but heart of some of the comorbidities besides the cardiac ones are are very important. Let's hear more about those. What factors do you take into consideration or advise that others do when approaching a decision like this? Sure. 
Well, I think overall, as we know, the separation between physiological age and chronological age are huge. And therefore, my first recommendation is that age per se, while it's been written and verified and observed by many, that it's a, it is a risk factor that, that really you have to move beyond just what the age is other than giving you kind of a very gross estimate of risk. Where I think so many of the things that have begun to evolve where we have some measurement tools are trying to understand some of the measurements of comorbidities, and particularly the comorbidity of frailty and how that will impact cardiac surgery outcomes. Specifically, my interest in this began over 10 years ago, partially out of frustration with the less than perfect kind of judgment that we all make that again, without specific objective measures that somebody was okay for an operation, not okay for an operation. So within the domain of frailty, there are a lot of different things that can be done, but some of the recent research that's been done really points towards things as simple as just gait speed as a very profound predictor of how one can do with an operation. I'm going to ask you to explain on the radio how you assess someone's gait speed. What's the standard test? The standard test is actually a five-meter walk test can be done with a cane, with a walker, with the aid of whatever the patient normally uses, and a stopwatch. And basically, if a person can walk six seconds in five meters, that at least predicts a relatively better outcome after an operation. While that's not a guarantee, the converse of that is if they cannot walk five meters in six seconds, that is a profound marker of frailty and as such, at least triples operative risk for standard operations like bypass operations and valve replacements. Wow, that's quite a statistic and a very simple non-invasive test unrelated to radiation and some of the other more sophisticated tests. Are there other factors that you consider or other parts of the frailty assessment? There are other things that can be done, too. The Duke Activity, DAISY, the Duke Activity, uh, I think it's symptom of severity. I think severity index, where one can actually give people a questionnaire to fill out, also is another thing. It kind of gives you, you know, some very, if you will, ballpark things of if they're able to take care of themselves. That's a certain number of meds. If they can walk up a flight of stairs, those things can be predictive, too, as well. And they've been kind of used in other settings to kind of gauge risk. Other things that could be done are a little less simple than the stopwatch in five meters, which is a grip strength thing. Again, a very crude test of mine is just uh, shaking someone's hand, which is not only meant to be a social event, but I can also gauge how well somebody can grasp my hand when they shake it. And if they can't, then that's another index of frailty. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD. It's the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Janet Wright, and our guest today is Dr. Joseph Cleveland. He's Associate Professor of Surgery and Surgical Director of the Cardiac Transplant and Mechanical Circulatory Support at the University of Colorado in Denver. We're talking about simple screening methods for older patients that are considering cardiac surgery. You were talking about the handshape or the grip strength. Any other assessments that you do, either formally or informally, in your assessment? Those are the, the hallmark of the other two as well as I do actually utilize the STS, the Society of Thoracic Surgeons that is. There's an online risk calculator that will give you a very good ballpark risk for things too as well. And one of the things that's been added to that model in the last year and a half has been predictors of morbidity such that you don't just get a mortality score, but you get a risk of prolonged length of stay, prolonged intubation, renal failure. And again, as we touched on, for certain patients that are really deciding not only about lifespan, but quality of life, 
those can be very useful tools. So in combination with the grip strength and the uh, five-meter walk, I think that inputting their data into the risk model that's available online can be done easily by just going to uh, the website for the Society of Thoracic Surgeons. can also help gauge risk in counseling patients. Wonderful. Now, you talked about a recent study that looked at sort of the boundaries of frailty in cardiac surgery. Was the study addressed across all cardiac surgeries, or was this limited to bypass or valve or... Yes, so this was a study that actually looked at, if I recall correctly, it was a study that basically majority were coronary bypass and valve surgeries. I think the only really exclusion criteria were people that were done as emergent surgeries because those could not be entered into the consent process. So it was a fairly broad spectrum, although the vast majority of these, again, were aortic valve surgery and coronary bypass graft surgery patients. Is the approach to a female elderly patient for you different than a male elderly patient? It is. Unfortunately, there's been a longstanding, poorly understood, but absolutely reproducible observation that female sex carries uh, with it a worse outcome, particularly after coronary bypass grafting surgery. That's where it's most robustly seen, but after some of the valve operations too, aortic valve surgery, it's a weaker effect. So yes, my approach is particularly if there's a, like all things, I don't think one marker or one test can say yes or no, but it's an important consideration. And for a elderly female with any significant comorbidities and this frailty that appears to be operant, I would strongly advise them to have perhaps, you know, a percutaneous balloon aortic valvuloplasty instead of an aortic valve replacement, such things where I would really strongly counsel them away from open, potentially morbid procedures. Well, you know, we've been talking about surgery in older patients, but they're certainly frail younger patients. Is there any reason to believe that these measures uh, do not apply or that you can't get insights into risk by applying these tests in a younger population? Although your point is valid that they were studied in people that were older than 65, that there's, in my mind, again, separating physiologic from chronologic age would suggest that these tests should be equally as valid for a perhaps a 50-year-old who has a lot more comorbidities or perhaps has not taken care of themselves as well and might have frailty indices that would be uncovered by these studies. So I think they should be applicable to the younger population as well that might have markers for frailty. With science, we all accept that we're never done. There are always additional learnings and lessons and discoveries. Where are the gaps in research in risk assessment, particularly in older patients? That's an outstanding opportunity to be able to expound on that. The gaps are huge, and they basically derive from the fact that almost all of the procedures, medications, and everything have really been extensively evaluated in people that are usually less than 65 or certainly 75 years of age. So the first gap is just knowing kind of the inverse of your last question is, do the things that we know work in people less than 75 work in people older than 75? And we haven't studied them, so there are huge gaps there. We do know that the physiologic response of aging in the cardiovascular system, it's different, particularly to operations. We know that as uh, diastolic dysfunction and things like that in the cardiac reserve of elders is compromised, they do respond differently to our therapies. If I could mention some ongoing work that the American College of Cardiology has done that's been outstanding with a council, organized a council on cardiovascular aging, and this exact question is being addressed. There will soon be a a white paper to be published in the Journal of American College of Cardiology, looking at these gaps everywhere from primary prevention all the way through procedures. 
I'm so glad you called that out. It has been a great group to bring careful and thoughtful minds together, given that our population is aging and that many of them, as they, many of us, as we age, collect a series of other medical conditions that make us more complex. And yet we always want to be able to offer curative or therapeutic procedures to those who can be helped. So I'm delighted to have that group as a resource. It is an excellent resource, and again, as you identified, as one of the primary goals is to identify these gaps and be able to try to target our educational efforts and delivery of information as well as research focus to try to understand how we can bridge these gaps. I wonder if you would now imagine that you're talking to a room full of, let's say, primary care specialists who are considering a referral of one of their patients for consideration for surgery. They've had a cath. They've heard surgery is recommended. They're going to be sending their patient your way. What would you have them say about risk in general and then assessment of risk for surgery? Absolutely. So I think that, again, the very screening maneuvers that we do would be absolutely operant and be able to be done. So, again, this is somebody that they have concerns that there's any markers or frailty present that having the patient walk in their office would be a very helpful thing to be able to counsel them. Again, with a five meter, it doesn't have to be, again, at most offices, you can lay out a five meter straight path and almost all iPhones or something else have some sort of a stopwatch on them. So it doesn't have to be an elaborate process to just get an idea. I think other things that would be important would be attention to the patient's nutritional status. Uh, if they've recently lost weight or have uh, have had an episode of illness where they've, say, been in the hospital and now have found this out, you know, how can we recondition their kind of, if you will, kind of prehab them a little bit towards surgery would be a very important thing to do. So that's something that would be, uh, I think, helpful, at least in terms of trying to mitigate some risk. And I think probably, again, sitting down with the patient, having a frank discussion regarding expectations with a procedure and trying to get a gauge for, you know, is this going to be something that's likely if you're starting out, say, worst case scenario, you've just had a prolonged hospitalization, say, your left main or severe aortic stenosis has been uncovered, but you have age, some significant lung disease, some renal insufficiency that you unfortunately bring to the table with you, are you really going to have an increased quality of life? And, and we don't have those data. I mean, I just have to say that that's one thing that we're looking toward, but to have a frank discussion about what the expectations should be going into surgery and whether somebody is willing to spend the amount of time recovering from an operation that can be lengthy as well. We've been talking with Dr. Joseph Cleveland about simple screening methods for older patients considering cardiac surgery. Dr. Cleveland, thank you so much for being our guest today. Janet, it's been my pleasure to uh, talk with you today, and thank you for taking the time to investigate this very important topic. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Heart Matters is produced in cooperation with the American College of Cardiology. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.